type of feeling when it comes to preaching because I know the great, great, great responsibility that it is. Um, it's a very serious business, but at the same time, I have the privilege and the joy to share because I get to share with the people of God the only thing that matters. And that's his words and what he has to say. And so I'm glad to have the opportunity to pre um, preach today. Um, today we are going to be in the book of First Samuel. So if you would, please stand with me as we honor God's word. We'll be in First Samuel chapter 12, verses 6 through 25. Should be found here on the screen or you can read along in your word. Then Samuel said to the people, the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought your ancestors up from the land of Egypt is a witness. Now present yourselves so I may confront you before the Lord about all the righteous acts he has done for you and your ancestors. When Jacob went to Egypt, your ancestors cried out to the Lord and he sent them Moses and Aaron who led your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord, their God. So he handed them over to Sisera, commander of the army of Hazar, to the Philistines and to the king of Moab. These enemies fought against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned for we abandoned the Lord and worshiped the Baals and the Ashtoreths. Now rescue us from the power of our enemies and we will serve you. So the Lord sent Jeroboam, Barak, Japheth and Samuel. He rescued you from the power of the enemies around you and you lived securely. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was coming against you, you said to me, no, we must have a king reign over us, even though the Lord your God is your king. Now, here's the king you've chosen, the one you requested. Look, this is the king the Lord has placed over you. If you fear the Lord, worship and obey him. And if you don't rebel against the Lord's command, then both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. However, if you disobey the Lord and rebel against his command, the Lord's hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Now, therefore, present yourselves and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Isn't the wheat harvest today? I will call on the Lord and he will send thunder and rain so that you will recognize what an immense evil you committed in the Lord's sight by requesting a king for yourselves. Samuel called on the Lord and on that day, the Lord sent thunder and rain. As a result, all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. They pleaded with Samuel, 
Pray to the Lord your God for your servants so we won't die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of requesting a king for ourselves. Samuel replied, don't be afraid. Even though you have committed all this evil, don't turn away from following the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord with all your heart. Don't turn away to follow worthless things that can't profit or rescue you. They are worthless. The Lord will not abandon his people because of his great name and because he has determined to make you his own people. As for me, I vow that I will not sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I will teach you the good and right way. Above all, fear the Lord and worship him faithfully with all of your heart. Consider the great things he has done for you. However, if you continue to do what is evil, both you and your king will be swept away. This is the word of God. You may have your seats. Today's scripture is from 1 Samuel. So who was Samuel? Samuel was a judge of Israel and he was a prophet of the Lord. The book of Judges precedes the book of 1 Samuel. The book of Judges is the story of the people of God finally making it to the promised land. They've been led by Moses and Aaron out of Egypt and Joshua succeeded Moses and he has led them into the promised land. Now, this promised land is the land of Canaan. It was promised to Abraham when he was called from the very beginning to follow God and to take his descendants into this land. And so the people of Israel have finally made it to the promised land. They are there. They are in this land. But I said it's the Canaan land. And so the Canaanites are there. Now, Joshua has led them into the promised land and they have somewhat driven out the Canaanites, but they're not fully driven out. Okay, so the people of God, the Israelites, they were called to be a holy nation, a nation that was set apart, a nation that reflected to the other nations, the pagan nations, who the true God was. So they find themselves in this place, in the promised land. But yet these Canaanites are still around and they were supposed to be set apart, like I said. But the problem here that the people of Israel found themselves in is that they didn't quite drive them all the way out. They had other gods. These Canaanites had these pagan gods that they worshipped. Now, they the people of Israel were supposed to show and display the power of God that God was the Lord. Yahweh was the one true and only God. And that these other pagan little G gods, they had no power. One of the ways that they were supposed to do this was to remember the covenant that they had made, the covenant that the people of Israel had made with the Lord, that they were supposed to live in obedience to the Torah and follow the Lord and put this on display that the one true God, the Lord, 
was the one that was all powerful and these other guys had no power. I believe Karen in the reading of the Old Testament scripture talked about that. These these guys that had eyes but couldn't see or had ears but couldn't hear. These foreign guys that were no gods at all, actually. But the problem, like I said, was that the Israelites, as they found themselves in the land of Canaan, they didn't finish the job. They didn't drive the Canaanites all the way out of the land. Instead, they commingled. They intertwined with the Canaanites and they began to worship these small G gods, these foreign gods, these gods that had no power, these gods of the Canaanites, these pagan gods. The people of God, although they had been delivered and they had seen all that God had done for them, they still didn't obey. They still in their hearts had a proclivity towards idols. These other guys, they were idols. They weren't real gods with real power. And so this book, the book of Judges that precedes um, the book of First Samuel is a story of how Joshua he died. He was the last one to lead the people into the promised land. He died. And then the Lord would raise up these judges to lead the people of Israel. Now, these judges would see that the people of Israel turned away from God. They turned towards these pagan gods. And so these judges were raised up by God to remind the people of Israel that the Lord is their one true God, to repent to remember who the Lord is and to follow him. But the people of God found themselves in this pattern, this cycle. Now, you would have this point in time where the people of God would um, find themselves in peace. They were in obedience with God to God. They were in obedience. And as long as they were in obedience, they had peace. But as soon as they sinned, by turning away from God and turning to these false gods, these idols, these gods of the pagans, as soon as they turned away and stepped into sin, they would find themselves oppressed by the people around them. These other people groups would oppress the people of God. Even though the Lord was all powerful and these other gods had no power, these people groups that served these false gods would be able to oppress the people of God. Now, what kind of sense does that make? How does an, a people who follows an all-powerful God, who's delivered them from Egypt, brought them into the promised land, how does his people end up being oppressed by a people that follow a false God, a people that follow a powerless God? How do they find themselves um, under the power of the oppression of this other people group? I want to show you a couple of scriptures. These are from Judges. First scripture is from Judges chapter two. Verse 14 and 15. I want you all to pay close attention to these scriptures that I'm going to list on the on the screen. And I want you all to try to catch the pattern or the common thread that you see in these scriptures. Verse 14, the Lord's anger burned against Israel. And who handed them over? He did. God did. He, the Lord, handed them over 
He's the one who sold them to their enemies. Go to the next verse. Judges chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Once again, the Israelites do what is evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot the Lord, their God, and worshiped the Baals and the Asherahs. And so what? The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he sold them. Once again, the Lord is selling them or sending them. Next verse. Judges chapter 3, verse 12. The Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. And he gave King Eglon of Moab power over Israel because they had done what was evil in the Lord's sight. Next verse. Judges 4, 1 and 2. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 2, so the Lord sold them. Next verse. Judges 6, 1 and 2. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to Midian seven years and they oppressed Israel. Next verse. Judges chapter 13, verse 1. The Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines 40 years. Y'all see a common theme here, a common thread? The people of God do what's evil in the sight of the Lord. And how do they get oppressed? The Lord hands them over. The Lord. His own people. He hands his own people over into oppression by another people group who serve a powerless false God. See, one of the things that we need to see in these scriptures is that because the Lord is the one who puts his people under these oppressive hands is that the Lord is sovereign over all oppression. All oppression, the Lord is sovereign. He is in control. The Lord is the one who actually put them in the position to be oppressed. It's a weird thing to think of, that the Lord was the one that put his own people into oppression to the hands of another people. But it was the Lord over and over again, as you saw in all those verses, that the Lord over and over again put his people into oppression. And now in the book of 1 Samuel, um, and in the verses that we read, Samuel was in a transitional period. Okay, he's transitioning. So the people of God will find themselves in this pattern, this cycle that I've talked about, this cycle of where they would be obedient to the Lord and they would be in peace, but then they would sin. They would turn. They would turn to these false gods and then they would be oppressed, led into oppression by the hands of the Lord. But then the people of God, as they groaned, as they longed for deliverance, they would remember their Lord. They would remember God. 
And then the cycle moves into deliverance. And so the way that God moved the people to see their sin and to be a people who would repent is that God would raise up these judges. He would send these judges and these judges would remind the people of their sin. These judges would remind them that they are to repent and to obey. And so the Lord would see that. And Samuel was one of those judges. As a matter of fact, as we read here our scripture for today that we just read when we were all standing, that scripture was Samuel's farewell speech because he was about to um, pass away soon. But he was stepping away from his position as judge of Israel. He was the final judge of the people of Israel. Now, God raised up many judges over this time. Over the book of Judges, you see many judges raised up. But Samuel was the final judge. He was the last one. Because the people of God, they they've desired to have a king. See, before they had their own king, who was the king of the people of God? God, the Lord was the king. But he would still raise up. He would still send these judges and raise them up so that they would remind the people of who he was and call them to repentance and obedience. But he was their king. But yet the people of God, they wanted to be like other peoples. Now, remember, they were supposed to be set apart, a holy nation, different. But they wanted to be like the other nations. And so they wanted their own flesh and blood, earthly king. And so Samuel is in this transition period. He's given this farewell speech because he's transitioning out from being this judge and leader over Israel. And a king is about to take over. That king that was already anointed was Saul. So King Saul was about to take power, about to lead the people of Israel. And they were about to be under the leadership of a king in a kingdom. And so um, Samuel was this last judge and given this farewell speech. But in this farewell speech, he's reminding the people of God about this cycle that they kept finding themselves in. So, uh, Carl, if you could put verse nine back up there. I want you to look closely at this. So Samuel is reminding the people of God of how they were delivered, how God sent Moses and Aaron and delivered them from Egypt and in the bondage that they were in. But before they sinned, there was something that happened prior to the sin, prior to the sin of worshiping these false idols. And it's what we see here in verse nine. These first seven words. But they forgot the Lord, their God. They forgot. Them forgetting is what led them into the sin of idolatry. They would forget the Lord. Now, what does all this have to do with what we're talking about today? What does this cycle that the people of God found themselves in have to do with us? I want to remind us of this verse from Romans. Romans Chapter 15, verse four, it says this. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction. So that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. 
So the same God that we're reading about in 1 Samuel, the God of the Israelites, the same Lord is the same Lord today. It's the same Lord that we, those who are in Christ Jesus, he reigns over our life just as he reigned over the people of Israel. So I don't want you to think that this is a disconnect because it's a people that was, um, you know, talking about the Old Testament and the people from a long time ago, the Israelites and their story. This story has relevance to us today. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction. It has relevance for us today here in 2020. So let's think about this. Verse nine, we saw that the people of God forgot what the Lord had done for them. They forgot and then it led them to sin against God. And this sin that they committed led them to being oppressed by the people that were around them. These people that serve these foreign and false and pagan gods, they were oppressed by them. Even though their God had all power and all might and all authority in his hands, even though he had the power to deliver, he still allowed them to be oppressed by these other people groups with a powerless God. And so in this pattern to when they found themselves oppressed, what do we see happen? What do they do? Well, every time the people of God found themselves in this form of oppression, the next stage in this cycle that I'm talking about is that they repented. They remembered the Lord, their God, and they repented of their sins and the Lord had pity on them. Judges chapter two, verse 18 talks about this pity that the Lord had on them that moved the Lord to move on their behalf. And then every time that the Lord had pity upon them and saw their groaning, saw their moaning, saw their burdens, the Lord would send different people. He sent Moses and Aaron. He sent Joshua. He sent the judges. He would constantly send people, his people, to remind the rest of his people of who he was. And this would lead them to repent. And once the people of God repented, the Lord would deliver them. This is the next phase in the cycle where the Lord delivers his people out of oppression. He would always raise up someone, a judge, a prophet, to remind the people of God of who the Lord was to turn away from their sin and to obey. So usually the judges or the prophet's message was to repent and obey, obey the Lord, repent of the sins that you've committed against the Lord and obey him. Then after they moved out of this cycle, they, they repented, the Lord would deliver them. He would deliver them from under the hands of their oppressors. And then when they were delivered, they went into this period of peace, which was marked by their obedience. As long as they were obedient to God, they lived in peace. They weren't oppressed by the people that were around them. The problem is that obedience period 
would come to an end. They couldn't maintain obedience to the Lord. They continued to be tempted. They continued to see these foreign gods and they would give in and they would sin against the Lord. They would forget the Lord and sin against him and they would enter right back into this cycle. So they couldn't maintain that obedience that was necessary to keep them in peace. And so one of the things I want you to see from this is that the key was not overthrowing this oppressive people. That was not what the Lord wanted his people to focus on. He didn't want them to focus on fighting the people that was oppressing them. Where did the Lord want his people's focus? Not on fighting the oppression or the oppressive people. That wasn't where he wanted their focus. He wanted the people's focus on him, the one who delivers. He's the one who delivers from under oppression. It's the Lord. It's the Lord's work because he was the one who led them into oppression in the first place. And he wanted them to look beyond. See, they were looking to. If you look at the oppressors, you're looking too short sighted. God is sovereign. He's a sovereign over all oppression. Every form of oppression that we can ever imagine. God is sovereign over it. God is not out of control. This group of people that maybe oppress another people group, they are not bigger than our Lord. They are not bigger than God. They don't have any more power than the Lord gives them. And so we need to see that God is sovereign over all oppression, but the key was not fighting the oppressive peoples. The key was obedience unto the Lord. The key was repenting of their sin and obeying the Lord. And the Lord was the one who fought on their behalf. We sang about it earlier today. The Lord is the one who fights. The Lord fought on their behalf and would deliver the people. The Lord is the one who delivers his people. And so they would see that and they would enter into that pattern and they would enter into that cycle. But yet, because they could not maintain the obedience that was necessary and required, they will fall back into the pattern. We saw the verses over and over and over again, 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 again. The Lord was angry with his people. Why? Because they sinned. They turned away and happened again and again and again. And so God would raise up this judge, this prophet to call the people back into obedience, but they could never maintain the obedience. But God, in his grace, would constantly send these people. And so what do we need to see from this? What do we need to see from the grace of God and how he continued to send people over and over again to call the people into repentance? We need to see that the people of God, apart from God, cannot maintain the obedience required. And so that's why God, in his grace, here's where it goes for us today. In his mercy, he sent not another judge, not another prophet, but he sent his only begotten son. He sent Jesus, he himself, because the people of Kai could not maintain the obedience that was required. They couldn't do it. 
They tried over and over again, but they found themselves in this cycle. And I don't know about you, but I know that if I am not careful, I can find myself in a similar cycle where temptation presents itself to me. I know the Lord. The Lord has saved me. Just like the people of God were in the promised land. Our vision leading people out of Egypt and into the promised land of freedom. They were there. The people of God were in the promised land. But yet, even though they were delivered, still couldn't maintain the obedience required. Seeing creeps at our doors. It's always looking. The enemy roars around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Sin is always crouching at our door. I know that's true for me. Temptation always presents itself. And the problem is, in and of my own strength, the temptations of sin, they catch up with me. I give in, just like the people of God, just like the Israelites did over and over and over again. We do the same thing. We don't have the strength to maintain the obedience that's required for us to maintain peace in our lives. We don't have enough strength to do it. So God, in his grace and in his mercy, sent his only begotten son. The, the one who we know as Jesus was the only one who could maintain this perfect obedience that's required. He obeyed God perfectly the only one without sin. He was obedient on our behalf so that when we put our faith and trust in him, his obedience covers for our sins. He exchanged his obedience and his righteousness for our sin. We will always turn away from God because we don't have the strength. We don't have the ability to maintain the obedience that's required. So we will always turn. But that's why the gospel is so beautiful. Because he, Jesus, God himself said, my people can't do it. I've got to do it for them on their behalf. So that's exactly what he did in obedience all the way unto death. Death on a cross. So when we think about oppression, The oppression that we face, the greatest oppression that we face, yes, people are oppressed. There's a reality of it. People groan. There's injustice. Yes, that's reality in this world. But the real oppression is the oppression of sin over the hearts of men. Sin oppresses us. It's insidious. It oppresses us. It keeps us from being the people that God created us to be. We can't walk in freedom because we're oppressed by our own sins, our sins against a holy and righteous God. Our sins oppress us and keep us in this state of oppression that we can't get ourselves out of. But the only way that we can find hope, that we can find freedom. Is through Jesus, because he was obedient unto death on the cross. So my encouragement today, as we think about the people of God who over and over and over again sins, over and over and over again fell short of that obedience, is to not look at them with our heads held high or our noses up at them. I know it's a tendency. We look at the people in the Bible 
from, from Peter to the people of Israel to whoever. And it was like, how do they keep doing that over and over and over again? And then we start to, if we're not careful, and if I was them, I would have learned my lesson. I wouldn't have kept doing it over and over and over again. But the reality is we are them. We do this over and over and over again. And so Jesus had to come and be obediently obedient perfectly for us. And once we put our faith and our trust in him, he gives us his righteousness and we can live in freedom and we can go on to flourish and be the people that God has called us to be. And so if anything today, I leave you with remembering what Jesus has done. Remember, the people of God kept forgetting. They kept forgetting. It's constant over and over again. They would forget and they would sin. But God knows his creatures. He knows that we are forgetful. He knows that we will forget all the good things that God has done for us. We will forget. We are forgetful people. That's why Jesus instituted this. The table. Just like he did with the people of Israel, reminding them during the Passover, they were to do this Passover over and over and over again to remember what God had done for them in delivering them, delivering them from Egypt, delivering them from the hands of Pharaoh, delivering them from the deaf angel who came through to kill all the firstborn. That's what the Passover was for. It was to remind the people of God. And this is what the table is for. Jesus with his disciples, the last suppers, what we know it as, that night, he sat with his disciples, knowing what was about to happen, knowing that he was about to go to the cross. And he brought the bread. He brought the wine, the cup. He broke the bread. The bread reflecting Jesus's body, his body that was broken for us on the cross. He took the cup, drank it. Reflecting the blood of God that was spilled for us, the blood of Christ spilled on our behalf on the cross and he took those elements and he said do this in remembrance of me because we are forgetful people and so we need this table to remind us of what jesus has done for us so people of god today remember the body remember the blood remember the sacrifice on the cross and find freedom in the righteousness and obedience of Jesus, in the forgiveness of our sins through Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this evening thankful for the reminder that we have in your word. No matter if it's in the Old Testament or the New, you constantly remind us of who we are. We can see ourselves in the Israelites. We can see the constant pull to sin, to turn away from you. And we realize it in our own lives. We constantly battle 
the flesh. We battle the temptations that are presented before us to turn to other idols, to turn to other guys, to put things before you when you are supposed to be on the throne of our lives. We take false guys, these idols that have no power and we put them in your place. So, Lord, forgive us. Help us to see ourselves in this same cycle and pattern. How tired we get over and over and over again when we continue to sin over and over and over again. And sin oppresses us. It oppresses our hearts. But we long for freedom. We long to be free from sin. And you, in your goodness, in your mercy, knew that we couldn't do it ourselves. So you did it for us. You fulfilled the perfect obedience. Obedience all the way to the cross. But death didn't stop you, Lord. You were victorious over death. And you rose from the grave. And you ascended into heaven, are seated at the right hand of the Father. But yet you don't leave us alone. See, we don't have power to obey you, God. We need you in order to obey you. So you were faithful to send a helper. You sent the Holy Spirit. So all those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus are now indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power to say no to sin, to say no when the temptation arises, to flee temptation. The Holy Spirit gives us this power. It is you who gives us the power to obey you. So, Lord, help us to remember that and to trust in you today. We thank you for your body. We thank you for the blood. We thank you that we can come to the table and be reminded. A forgetful people can come to the table and be reminded of who you are and what you have done for us. Thank you for this reminder, Lord. We thank you for this reminder. We put our hope and our trust not in ourselves, not in our own ability to obey, but we put our hope and our trust in Jesus. We thank you for it today. In Jesus' holy name we do pray. Amen.